What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Speaking a Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, is Jeremy Feinstone. We're contributors to the Fight Game Media Network, and we are excited to be here this week. We are four shows into the G1 Climax 33 tournament. We've had some great matches already, some scary moments, and a couple of major upsets. We're going to talk about all of it here on the show today, but just to start off, Jeremy four shows in have you been enjoying what you've seen so far uh the g1 so far in all honesty is the way i live my life i under promise and i over deliver <laughs> and uh that's how i felt about the g1 it hasn't necessarily like lived up to monumental magic here and there but this is what the g1 is you ease in it's a marathon it isn't a sprint you get these gems interspersed through all the nights as you watch. And I feel like that's what we've gotten so far is some really good matches. Uh, not everything is hitting. Not everything is amazing. But when it is hitting, man, that's the stuff. We're going to talk about these shows in detail and mention some of our favorite matches and key moments, uh, things that are notable. But first, we want to go to an interview we did with Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. We had a chance to talk to Dave about the G1 on Tuesday afternoon. So as you listen to this, keep in mind, we'd seen two cards of Block A and B, only one of Block C and D. So the, the Wednesday show, the show on the 19th, hadn't quite happened yet. But we got to get the foremost authority on pro wrestling to talk about the G1 with us. So here is our conversation with Dave Meltzer. 
We are thrilled to be joined here by Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter here with us today on Speaking of Strong Style to Talk G1. David, it's an honor to get to talk to you about this tournament. Uh, in a year in which we've seen some of the best wrestling we've seen in a very long time, thinking about the N1, the five-star, and now the G1, the best might be yet to come. And so we're thrilled to have you here to talk about it. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, yeah, no problem. Dave, uh, I have a question for you to start out. Um, last year at the G1, we had a match of the year candidate with Okada and Osprey just blowing, blowing everybody out of the water. Since then, we've had a huge shift in New Japan. Uh, factions dissolving, people leaving. Uh, we got the Strong Style faction. We got the Just Five guys. Uh, Suzuki Goon is gone. Finley is in charge of Bullet Club. What's your takeaway on uh, the Three Musketeers? What's your takeaway on all the new stuff that they've done? How do you feel about it? What's your general vibe about the future of New Japan right now? I've, I feel like everything's kind of in its infancy in the sense that it feels like it's a rebuilding year. Like we're not where we where it should be, or I say it should be, but we're it's we're not where we were at at peak periods because everything. I think in this this year, a lot of things have kind of started from scratch with like, the, the, you know, the Bullet Club is essentially almost like a new group. Mm -hmm. Just Five Guys is a new group. And it's kind of like rebuilding these this this these stables and everything like that to where in time these, you know, you have a lot, a lot of new guys that are out there that I think that they want to make into real main eventers. Um, but it's going to take. A while to get them there you can see the building blocks happening um it's i feel it's very much a rebuilding period for new japan so speaking of building up somebody new here now sonata isn't new uh but he is the iwgp world heavyweight champion they've always treated sonata as a star but not at this level before this is his first yep. run with the big belt do you feel that he is a top-level guy in the way that Naito or Okada is and always have been? And and but and what does this tournament mean for him? I mean, can his performance change the perception of him as the champion? Because it seems like he has some work to do. He has work to do. I mean, number one, he's been a guy who was, um, you know, a tag team guy for years and years and years. And then they, as a singles guy, he was the guy who comes close, you know, gets a world title match every year or so and and loses. And often in a very good match, but he's not perceived, you know, like whatever the big four. He was never part of that. And I, I think that it's still not at that level. I mean, I look at him in this tournament and he comes out or when he was on Forbidden Door, um, even with the belt, it's like he's not Will Ospreay. He's not Okada. He's not Tanahashi even um, as far as like just reaction or even maybe Zach, you know, and other people. Naito, of course. So it's, um, I mean, he has the ability to have good matches, but, you know, in this tournament, most of the guys do. It's just a question of getting them over and getting them to the, the, the next level. And I mean, for him, if he went in there and had these dynamite performances match after match, like Okada did when he first got over, um, yes, it would help him a lot. And so far from what I've seen, um, it's, it hasn't happened yet. You know, I mean, his, his match today was, was good. You know, I mean, it was definitely a good match, but it wasn't the blow away. I mean, he needs to be in that blow away match of the tournament. And, you know, when, when he loses, if he loses in the tournament, it needs to be this big thing. We're early too, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, some people can walk in and, and win the belt, 
you know, because they've had so much time of being built at that level, like let's say Kenny Omega, just as an example, when he came in with the belt, it was like a big, big, big deal. Right. Um, um, when Naito won it the first time, it was a big deal, but he lost it quickly, but it certainly drew. And, um, with Sonata, no, it's not there. It sort of reminded me of when Evil was champion. You know, when Evil was champion. Of course, that was during the pandemic. So it was very, very hard for him. But I also feel like he had it and he was not a success either. Hmm. So, of course, this is a very intricately booked tournament. And Ghetto likes to make it tough on himself, Ghetto being the New Japan booker. This idea of having four blocks and two guys advancing. And this is... Yeah. Uh, a totally different format uh, for this one and very complicated. Uh, he, he just, uh, I guess he likes a challenge then because he's got, a, he's got a lot to figure out here. I've been spending my time trying to reverse engineer this from the, you know, just because we know, you know, A1 faces C2 and things. And I, I right. spent an embarrassing amount of time trying to figure out how all I mean, that I, was going to come. I kind of think like uh, the first and the seconds, you know, in each block are, you know, I mean, like you can kind of look and get a lot of them right, I think. But who's going to be first and who's going to be second is a, is a that's a shot in the dark. Right. It really is. Right. So we are back to a lot of people might not realize this, but this is the first G1 with cheering because Japan really didn't incorporate the cheering until just a few months ago how much is that going to change the perception of the g1 this year do you think as opposed to last few years where there wasn't the cheering and the the feedback kind of displayed that with uh the stateside crowd um it helps of course but i think the thing that i've noticed so far is is in my opinion the 32 guys is a mistake because it's it's the depth is not there. And I think people want what I've seen with the, you know, from the, especially from the first two nights is that people want a G1 where every match is great. And what we're having is a G1 where, you know, there's a couple of really good matches every show. Um, but there's a lot of matches that are just kind of, and guys that are just kind of there where you just go, okay, whatever, you know, like, you know, like a Mikey Nichols or a Chase Owens, just as an example. Um, even Hikaleo, you know, I know who I know is a project for the future and everything like that. But it just feels like these type of guys, they're, they're out there, but nobody really um, sees them as, you know, people don't stop and go, I got to watch this match. You know, like, whereas in other years, it was like, if there was like eight matches on the show, there were six of those matches, then you'd have the Toriano match, which is a com completely different thing, which was okay, because it was different from the other matches. Now you have you know what I would call, I mean, and they're, they're fine matches. Um, and, and sometimes they're, they're kind of scary, but it's, it's like, I think people are, um, I think people, instead of watching like every match in the tournament, I'm, I'm sensing people are picking and choosing like to watch two or three matches on each day. It's also interesting with the crowds in Japan for a lot of reasons, of course, but even though they are allowed to cheer now and there aren't any restrictions on where they can sit or anything like that, we still don't have the noise we used to have. It's taken no. a while to get that back. And I, I mean, I remember going to, uh, you know, just, just, just seeing these things. I was, I was in Japan in 2019. I saw a night of the N1 tournament and I remember the noise in Corican hall was so cool. And now you look at that and there's still a lot of applauding and things. They haven't really gotten back into the spirit of it quite yet, which does make for an interesting atmosphere. There's some of it but not the way there used to be and i guess it's going to take a while for that to come back hopefully it will 
and and the same thing with attendance you know i mean it's like um i mean i'm used to watching these these shows with packed crowds and like watching sapporo and even today's show even more where it's just almost like today's show was like a good normal show crowd but but Mm -hmm. not like this packed super you know like um you know, um, what's that, what I call atmosphere of a G1 and Sapporo. I mean, you saw a lot of, especially the second show, you saw a lot of empty seats more than, you know, you would see when, when G1 Sapporo two days, you know, opening with two days of sellouts were a long way. You know, I mean, it's, that's why I say it's a rebuilding period for new Japan. And a lot of this stuff is going to take place later. And and the key is, I mean, the key to this company is, you know, I think Yoda Suji and, and to a lesser extent, Narita and, and, Umino and some of these other guys, but you know, becoming that next Okada level star and really clicking. Um, and I think that Suji's probably the best of all of them when it comes to the charisma. But you need, you know, you need that rebuilding thing. And and Umino, Umino has a look and he's pretty good, but he his, his facial expressions aren't quite there yet, and there's still a ways to go with him. Like I don't, I think people you know, kind of see him, but they're not like super behind him either. You know, like I've seen with some of the guys when they're on their way up, like, you know, Tanahashi at the same stage, people were really into his, his elevation, I guess would be this, the word. And with Suji and even Narita, I don't feel the same thing. I don't think they're quite into it, but you know, it could be something that takes more time. You know, I mean, not everyone, uh, you know, hits with the crowd at, at the same pace, obviously. At the show today, we heard the crowd. It was, inter- again, interesting. I feel like the fans are ready for this, though. I think they're anxious for it. And that, not not that they're, uh, you know, in full rebellion the way sometimes WWE fans get. But what I mean by that is at the show today, the the most crowd noise the beginning of a match had was Suji and Narita. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it. Yeah. And that tells me a little bit like they're excited about these guys. They are interested to see where they go. It, it, at the same time, uh, you know, Ghetto kind of gets them there and then pulls them back a little bit. Like Shota always seems to come up short right now, which is a story to tell. His his big win over one of the big four needs to be in a huge moment and things, and it's coming. But Suji, of course, debuting a Dominion and then losing, so they, they've they've kind of gotten excited about it and then had it yanked out from under him. So, but they're cautiously optimistic about these guys because they do seem to be reacting to them even more so than some of the more established ones. Well, it's new, and you want something new. That's why I think Kiyomiya is so important in this tournament because uh, it's just all new matches with a new guy who they know is good, you know, who, um, you know, had the big program with Okada earlier this year. And I think people can't wait to see. They really want, I think, Kiyomiya to advance because I think everyone, one of the matches everyone wants to see in this tournament is Okada and Kiyomiya, and obviously they're in different blocks. Definitely trying to tease that. I don't know if they actually get to that match, but it'd be pretty interesting if they – got all the way to maybe like the quarterfinal teeth getting to it and then pulled it away from people just kind of that guy worked that hard. And then maybe you want to see that Okada Kiyomiyo match later on even more. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it, could, it could be done. Yeah. 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 Uh, you want to jump onto the bracket talk real quick. Mm-hmm. So Dave, we got the A bracket, Hanada, Shota, Umino, Ren Narita, Yodahuji, Hikaleo, Chekhov, Gabe Kidd, and Kato Kiyomiya. Right now, it looks like Hanada and Kiyomiya might be the uh, the favorite with the bottlenecking of the three Musketeers. What uh, what what's your take on this bracket? How it was designed, and generally the ideas behind it. Well, I mean, I think that the key was is uh, you get uh, the young guys in there with Sonata, 
Um, and, you know, they come close and tease the idea that, you know, again, someday maybe they will beat Sonata or some of the other guys. And then, um, you know, Kiyomiya, obviously the new stuff. I think Sonata and Kiyomiya are the favorites in, in the bracket. I think that's the two people people want to see go. But I think that it's important that, um, you know, Umino and Suji um, and uh, Narita, you know, I guess do like, you know, whatever it would be, four and three type of type of thing, get some wins. You know, I know they've been, they're not going to go four and three because there have been draws in there already, but get some good draws and get some good wins and, and, you know, take a few losses in the way. But at least, at least what I would say is um, one signature win from all of them and, and maybe a couple other wins. It's an interesting way to do it because they have already teased the idea that the Reiwa Three Musketeers are going to do a round robin of twenty minute draws with one another. And Narita's already drawn with each of the other two. Right. Probably two two of the better matches in the tournament. We still have Suji versus uh Shota to go. Uh but uh, that could be a way of those guys dropping points, so to speak, without getting pinned, uh, which could allow Kiyomiya to get in. So that's sure. Yeah. That's a pretty slick way they could handle that. And so, yeah, that was a, uh, the, the one thing too, um, you know, you had some of the, and a block B, which we're going to come to next is uh, kind of top heavy block. It feels like there are two real front runners in this one. Of course, one of the tropes of the G1 is an early loss for a major contender. And yeah. we saw that on night one and ghetto likes to put guys behind the eight ball, make them, uh, make them put them behind the, uh, you know, get them down early. And then, so they have to run off a, a series of wins late in order to get through. So, but and often, Block- and, and, and sometimes get people over with a bunch of wins early and then beat them at the end. But the couple of wins early include upsets. So mm-hmm. when they don't make the final, it's still like, you remember their, their surprise wins early. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, they did as a model, uh, as a model for that in this tournament. That he's well, they did with Moxley. For John Moxley was a great right? example of that, where he just yeah, went yeah, on right. this run right. and then and then kind of stumbled over the last uh, stumbled over the last hurdles. But in block, boy, for a company that still gets a lot of their money off of ticket sales, it's hard to imagine going to the quarterfinals without Okada and Will Ospreay in it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because I think they're, <laughs> they're probably. I mean, Okada is probably the biggest draw. Um, with Naito and Osprey's probably right there, you know, right after that, I think. So, yeah, yeah, I think, um, but, but, you know, they're the ones talked about. I mean, the thing with, with, with Osprey obviously is, is, you know, he's working through, I mean, they're all working through injuries, but he's working through serious injuries in this thing. And, and the idea of, um, you know, keeping him, um, what's the word I'm looking for, keeping him healthy through this thing because of his natural instincts of trying to have these incredible matches all the time while hurt, you know, which is something he's been doing for years and years and years. You know, I mean, I've seen him so many times when he was really hurt. And then you go, well, he's, you know, he's going to have to uh, tone down for a couple of weeks. And then you watch him and he doesn't tone down. So I, uh, um, I was, I saw his new finisher today, the yeah. the leap of faith, the corkscrew senton. And I had wondered because his arm was just kind of in rough shape, if that was a new finisher designed to kind of protect his body from, uh aggressively I, doing that i i don't know because i didn't see it that way i saw it as just a new finisher i looked to me like um he was trying to do the um you know the the tiger driver thing and he did it but now it's almost like maybe that's not the smart one to do and come up with another because you know every year every couple of years or whatever year or two you know he comes up like first it was you know um you know whatever it was the, the hidden you know the 
the he had the, he had the one finisher. What was the, the Stormbreaker, the, Hidden Blade? You no, know, before the Stormbreaker, the Hidden Blade, the Stormbreaker, and now we're at the new one. And the first one was what was the one he was doing? When he was a junior heavyweight. Um, oh boy, it's been a minute. Was now. it? I'm, I'm blanking on. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember it. Um, the Oscutter. The Oscutter, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was his finisher. Now it's yeah. Now it's a setup move. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, they've set up a nice little uh, last day drama thing with Taichi because Taichi they usually book fairly strong these days, and uh, he has the mythical uh, tiebreaker over Osprey. So I think they could do a thing where maybe Taichi's in the mix, and Will Osprey has to get a big win on the last night to avoid uh, Taichi slipping through or something. So I feel like oh, Taichi's yeah. going to be in the mix, but I, it, it still feels like Okada and Osprey and uh, B to me anyway. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I think that's probably a good way to do it too. You know, yeah. and 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 Taichi's a good, he's a good third place guy, fourth place yeah. guy. Yeah, in that block. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a guy considered a lazy junior heavyweight a few years ago. Now he's he's really one of the more entertaining guys on the roster. And he and Shingo Takagi did great things with that King of Pro Wrestling oh, yeah. title. So uh, just a really strong couple of years from him. It's been good. Yeah, to see. He, well, he, can, he, he can really he he can really go. He can really yeah. go. You know. Yeah. All right, so we got the C block, and this is a really an open field that we got here. We got Tamatonga, we got Tomohiro Ishii, we got Shingo Takagi, we got Mikey Nichols, we got Hinare, which, oof, that was a match that happened. Yeah, uh, Eddie right. Kingston, David Finley, and Evil. This is the hard-hitting, uh, hard-hitting bracket, and I don't mean that to be, like, facetious after what we saw with yeah. uh, Hinare and Michael Nichols, which seemed like two guys that had something to prove, and not really understanding what they were trying to prove, but I'm just glad everybody's okay. Uh, how do you how do you see this bracket, Dave? Um, I mean, I think Finley and Takagi are kind of like my picks. Yeah. To go through, I mean, I you know Ishii's one of those guys where he's gonna you know he he may have the most good matches in this tournament of anyone, but um, I don't see him making the the the, the two. A uh, Kingston Dark Horse, I think yeah. that they they might go with him to make the final eight so to speak um but i think finley i think finley is actually one of the favorites to go all the way in the tournament because he's one of those building block guys who's got he's got something he's a very good wrestler but i think as far as the aura of being big four he certainly doesn't have and i think that as leader of bullet club they want him to have it so that's what i think that finley might do real real well and takagi of course i think kingston beating takagi made me think that it's probably going to be takagi you know as the other one rather than you know they give kingston the win now and like you said almost the same types of situation with with osprey and taichi in this one where he's got that tiebreaker win but um you know i mean um you know, Takagi's obviously one of the best guys that they've got in the company, and um, it's so he'd be good to get in the final eight. I mean, the thing, Kingston, because he's the AEW rep, and they also obviously want to be good to AEW, I, I think that he, he certainly has a chance. And at, you know, at worst, I see him as like, you know, four, two and one type of a, you know, four and three, four, two and one, five and two type of a guy. I kind of thought that when he got that strong title that they kind of had a ceiling on him because Finley's got the never open weight title. You got uh, Shingo Takagi had the King of Pro Wrestling title and it was kind of the gimme to give him the strong title and then him have a good showing but have other guys move on in the bracket. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think that, that, that he's going to have a, a loss or two. I mean, that's the one thing when, when, you, when you watch G1 is the, all of those guys that, that have the belts – there's that loss or two, and that's your fall championship matches. Mm -hmm. 
And it's a, the thing that works against Ishii in this situation is that he's in an interesting spot and he's almost bulletproof. He can lose to anyone and he never loses face with the crowd. Like the, the fans love him the same, whether he wins or yeah. loses. So ghetto knows that and knows that, well, he doesn't have to win all the matches. You know, he, he doesn't cool off because he does a job for someone. And so in these tournaments, he tends to be the one that uh, puts people over uh, along the way. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think Finlay and Takagi make the most sense. Plus yeah. that it gets an easy route to Shingo versus Sonata in the quarters, which is a pretty sexy matchup. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing too with, 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 with Ishii is, is that, um, He's going to have a great match with almost everyone. So, you know, when it comes to G1, one of the key things with the crowd is is not just who wins and loses, but who really excites them in winning and losing. And, and it, no, you know, it's almost like with Ishii, it's like, yeah, we know he can lose five out of seven matches, but we also know that probably, you know, five, six out of the seven are going to be great. So it's okay. You know, it's like he gains... You know, I mean, you know, I think in a lot of ways, G1 has made his career, you know, and not by, and he's never won a G1 and he's never been in the finals. But when people look at his career, they think of Kenny Omega match and, you know, yes. you know, Kota Ibushi match. And, you know, I mean, it, it it's Tanahash. I mean, like all of his greatest matches or almost all were in G1. He's Mr. G1 as far as bell to bell, you know, having those great matches, G1 MVP type of thing. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I definitely thought that there was a possibility that we might just get a sheet in there just to like shock people and do something a little bit different than no one would uh, be expecting. But there are narrative things with other wrestlers that seems like might be the better bracket. All right, let's move on to the D bracket. We got Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto, Toriano, Tetsuya Naito, Zack Sabre Jr., Shane Haste, Jeff Cobb, and Alex Coughlin. Uh, it seems like this is designed for Zach Sabre Jr. and Tetsuya Naito to move forward, but are there any other people in the bracket that you, you feel might have a shot? I mean, they would be my favorites. Um, I think Cobb maybe, you know? But but Cobb beating Naito was, was one of those things where it's like, uh, if Naito had beaten Cobb, I almost would have thought maybe Cobb, you know, even mm-hmm. more. But, I, you know, Cobb is always one of those guys who gets some really big wins in G1, but but doesn't isn't there at the end, even that year where he set the record for most consecutive wins, he didn't make the finals. Um, so, so I see something like that where he gets some good wins and, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Naito, I think it wouldn't be good for Naito not to make the final eight. And Zach is, you know, the, that, um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, as far as the foreigners and everything like that, especially with, with, um, with Jay White gone, you know, I, I see Osprey and Zach, 
you know, I know they want Finley there, but I see Osprey and Zach as the two big stars. Mm. Yeah, you can top level. Would you say, would you have Zach Saber win the bracket or Naito win the bracket? Um, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, you know, it, the thing is, is it really depends on, um, what kind of things that you want to do in your, you know, and, 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 and everything like that, you know, but, um, I mean, Naito it is, 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 you know, a bigger star still, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, I, you know, what's funny is, is it depends on, I think that the guy who you want to go with from that bracket, maybe you put him in second. So the other guy gets the rub of finishing first, but the second place guy goes the furthest in the tournament. So if you want Zach to go to the finals, so to, let's just say, have him go second. If you want okay. Naito to go to the finals, have Zach win the bracket. You know, so, so that's kind of, you know, and, and they think like that. You know, they try to give everyone or the key people something when it's over where you can kind of say, hey, they did something good. They, my, my guy made the finals or my guy won the bracket, you know. Which guy do you think would make the finals, Naito or Zach? Um, I think that Zach would be the better one to make the finals as far as match quality goes. Cause Zach, you know, Zach, the thing with Zach is he's got that style where I'm more confident in him physically being there at the end more than some of these other guys, um, where, where you're afraid they're going to break down. And that's a key part of it where Zach, not that Zach doesn't get hurt because everyone does, but, but his style is the less conducive to a lot of, you know, a lot of wear and tear compared to other guys' styles. I'm watching the way they're booking this, and Jeff Cobb reminds me of a better working version of Bad Luck Fale. And remember how Fale would always score like 10 points in the G1 yeah. year after year and always protected. And, he, and he, he, he gets some big wins, yeah. Yeah, he could because he can he can credibly beat anyone in one match, right? You know, like you can yeah. you could always buy it. You don't have to sell anybody on the idea of Jeff Cobb winning a match, but then again, he always just kind of not quite gets there. So it's it's yeah. very useful in a tournament like this. It's a great to have a guy like that 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 can do it that well. Yeah. So I got a question on this one here. Uh, in 2018, this is the name that always jumps out to me. Adam Page only scored six points in the tournament, but he was kind of the guy a lot of people were talking about coming out of it. He kind of broke out in that tournament, had terrific matches all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think, uh, changed um, the perception of him. Changed the perception of his whole career, and that's what I. Yeah. You you always look for in G1 that guy. You know, yeah. who, is there one this had, year? Well, it's too early to say. I mean, and the, the thing of this year is there's probably six or seven guys, mm. you know, um, Umino Suji, you know, um, Phantasmo, you know, I mean, guys that if they had a tournament like Adam Page could be that guy, you know, I mean, um, yeah, that that's kind of up to just, you know, again, like a guy who you just don't, you know, I mean, Adam Page didn't have a rep for being anything that great. And all of a sudden it was like, man, he's like really good. And, you know, from that point on, once AEW formed, I mean, he was top. He was a top guy in AEW from day one. All right, Dave, I took your notes of who you had picked throughout this uh, discussion. And so we're going to do a little bit of quick bracketology. Take your picks on these as we go. Okay. Sonata versus pick. Shingo. Who do you got? Sonata against Shingo. Um, in, the, in the final. So we're talking, this, is this, this is the quarterfinals? This is the quarterfinals. Man, it's hard to beat uh, Sonata in the quarters, but I think that's a great win for Shingo, and of course sets up um, Sonata and Shingo for a you know big show in October, November. So I say Shingo. Okay, round two: Okada versus Zack Saber Jr. Wow! Oh boy! 
Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I, I just feel that Okada is not the champion. And while it is certainly repetitive for him to win this tournament, um, you know, you're, you're talking about Wrestle Kingdom main event at a time when, you know, it's not guaranteed 40,000 or even 25,000 people. And you really want the guy who can give you the 25 to 30. Um, so Okada is one of those guys. So I'm going to go with Okada. Okay. Next, we got David Finley versus Will Ospreay. That's a real interesting one. Um, it's like, it's like Will Ospreay's never won the G1. And last year he came so close and everybody really, you know, he did a great promo and everyone really wanted him to win. So on that, and also uh, I think Will Ospreay's the guy who can headline the Tokyo Dome, especially after the match, the matches with Omega. Um, so if it's me, it is Will Ospreay, but I could certainly see them going with Finley for other reasons. That's a very tough one to pick. All right. And then we got Naito versus Kaito Kiyomiya. Um, if, uh, if that ends up with uh, Kiyomiya winning, get, he gets a big signature win over Naito and it goes to Okada and Kiyomiya. If they can it would go to somehow... Osprey to Kiyomiya. He would have to or... still go through Osprey to get to Okada. Okay. If, if it went that way, then I would say Naito. Um, okay. Because I I don't see Kiyomiya beating Osprey, and if he doesn't get to Okada, he can he can lose. Okay. We get down to Takagi versus Okada. Um, Okada. Okay, and we get to Osprey and Naito. Man, Osprey's beaten him so many times in a row <laughs> that you almost feel it's Naito's turn. So I guess... But if it's night to if, it, if it's Osprey's year, he has to win, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's at that stage I'd go with Osprey. Then we get back to Osprey and Okada. I would reverse last year, so yeah. I guess I got Osprey. Yeah, Osprey I, I it's I go back and forth between Osprey and Naito for the same reason. It's it's supposed to be Osprey's year. They made a point of that after the Kenny Omega match at the Dome. I, I'm one year, right? And then so you you, yeah. you plant. But then when Sonata won the title, I thought, boy, they have to do Sonata versus Naito for all the Sonata stars Naito. at some point. Sonata Naito is a very yeah. big match potentially, and they've and they've teased it already. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. so that's uh yeah. I mean, they mm -hmm. definitely have. It's it's not as obvious as as most years. Yeah. They definitely have about you know four different options of ways yeah. to go, but you still got to go with like I could see, man. Do you go all the way with Sonata for the rest of the year, or do you have somebody yeah. knock off Sonata? Yeah. In which case, you don't. You maybe you put Sonata and Naito, but that's not the title match. Maybe you have, um, you know, maybe you have Osprey. Um, Osprey wins G1 and Okada wins over Sonata. And then you go with Okada and Osprey at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Winner take all been, between the two titles. And yeah, that's been done. It's been done before, but it's also the guarantee of, you know, that super match that you really yeah. want to headline Wrestle Kingdom. And last it's, year it's, they did the East Coast, the Eastern main event with uh, Okada and Jay White, and then they did the Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega. There's no reason why they couldn't do that again with Okada Omega, uh, Okada Ospreay, sorry, and then Shingo Hanada uh, and Naito as another main event, just not for a title. There, or, there's enough history there. Or, or, um, you have uh, Osprey and Naito. Let's just, well, no, mm -hmm. be, but yeah, let's say you have Osprey and somebody 
uh, in one main event. And then the other main event is Okada and Omega. Yeah. I'd be into it. Yeah. And there's, there's so because many it's, ways. It's, for it's years since they've had that match. Yeah, and, and you know, Okada is fascinating this year more than more than even usual because usually you figure he's either the champion or he's going to be the G1 winner because he's going to main event the Tokyo. You know, that, that like last year, it was like he's winning this thing. This year, they could do so many things with him. We don't know when the, the uh, Brian Danielson rematch is. Tokyo Dome's not a bad spot for that. They could always build that makes, up. That, that actually makes, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. But we don't know, we don't know Brian Danielson right. And, and, right. and everything. I'd you can like always to, build up well, Shoto Umino. Shoto Umino has it out for him, and if they really wanted to build him, they could give him a, a grudge match against Okada. There, there's Kiyomiya that you could mm-hmm. you could potentially put in there. So, yeah, yeah. more so than usual, there are, there are different avenues, each of which is interesting for Okada. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go talk about Omega Danielson, Umino, I think not the Tokyo Dome this year. Although, certainly a year later, hopefully. Hopefully we're there. And Kiyomiya, yes, too. So, the, yeah, you got, I think, get three big ones. And, of course, Will Ospreay um, or Naito. You know, I mean, those are, yeah, there's all possibilities. And, you know, you could you could end up with Sonata and Okada. That's another, you know, possibility. Dave, I want to thank you so much for giving uh, so much of your time here today. We're going to wrap this up. Um, you're welcome back here anytime, obviously. But uh, <laughs> thank you again for taking time out of your day to talk New Japan Pro Wrestling with us. Well, we would love to thank Dave Meltzer for joining us there. That was uh, it's great to have him on the show, Jeremy. You know, the, the, more Dude, that than was ever, awesome. that was more, awesome. <laughs> more than ever, that man has so much to do, and the world of wrestling just continues to grow exponentially, really. And uh, he is a very busy man, so for him to take some time out of his schedule to talk to us, very much appreciated. So that that was pretty cool to talk to Dave about something like this. Yeah, man. To peel back the layer a little bit. Uh... I, I was uh, I've been friends with Dave for uh, about five years now before the pandemic started. Uh, our mutual friend Garrett Gonzalez introduced us, and so I've been I've been going over to Dave watching these pay per views, and you know I just enjoy hanging out with Dave. He's a really good guy in real life, and uh, you know one day I was like, Hey Dave, you want to talk about the G one on the show? And he just said sure, and we uh, we managed to make it happen, and uh, I am eternally grateful to Dave for joining us on the show. Uh, Honestly, he does this stuff in his sleep, and everything that he said was freaking insightful, but at the same time, just off the top of his head. It was unreal. Yeah, and and a lot of what we talked about on there has kind of uh, borne true through Wednesday's show didn't do anything to really change anything you heard. Uh, I I don't think it did anyway. uh, There's a couple of things that we're going to note along the way. We're going to get deep in the weeds of uh, these first G1 shows here in just a moment we do have some news and notes to cover here jeremy i got some stuff here uh we have some names for the all-star junior festival in philadelphia on august 19th uh that's a dual show there at the uh, 2300 arena the former ecw arena a show on the 19th and show on the 20th and i believe just like the recent resurgence uh, pay-per-views and things there'll be two shows for one price on uh, njpw world we know these names uh hiromu takahashi of course but also announced master wato Rocky Romero, El Desperado, Speedball Mike Bailey, Doki, and then some names that we don't always see on uh, New Japan shows or haven't seen before, Dragon Kid, a, uh, a student of Ultimo Dragon. Uh, I mentioned Speedball Mike Bailey, but also uh, Shun Skywalker from Dreamgate. That's a name we don't get to see in uh, New Japan very often. And 
Nick Wayne, who just made his AEW debut on national television there and uh, is considered a real wrestling prodigy. And uh, this guy was really, really good at 16. He's now 18, going to make a a New Japan appearance. So uh, a lot to look forward to there. Uh, Did you mention Julia as well? Well, we're going to get to that because we don't know which of the dates she's going to be there. August 20th, the next night, will be Multiverse United 2. And it'll have impact talent involved. Julia is expected to defend the NJPW Strong Women's Championship on one of these shows, but there has been no formal announcement on that yet. But we do have one. Throw this hint out there. Sure. The All Star Festival is already up for pay per view on the New Japan World website. So Mm -hmm. if you were going to have Julia in a title match, I would presume that it would be on New Japan World on a pay-per-view and not on Fight as Multiverse United is. So that might be a tell that it might be on All-Star, but I'm not 100% sure on that either. Multiverse United 2 will feature Hiromu Takahashi and Mike Bailey facing Leo Rush and Trey Miguel. That's a pretty cool match right there. And Leo Rush, I think, is the new X Division champion over in Impact. Yeah. So yeah. uh, he, uh, his time in New Japan has been well spent and parlayed into further success in the States. I'm happy to see it. And we are in this era where promotions around the world are holding hands, having picnics together with unicorns and puppies prancing around. It's just this wonderful era of cooperation, Jeremy. Sonata is going to appear for Impact at Impact Emergence in uh, Toronto on August 27th. So I, I did really? think the I did think the announcement was kind of funny. It said, his first time in Toronto since Forbidden Door. Oh, my goodness. It's been so long. It's been so I, long. They hardly they hardly remember he was even there. Not, I had no idea he was doing that. That's, yeah, that was just announced. Well, uh, I hope it is a strong showing for our IWGP champion in Toronto this time. I hope it is a strong, strong showing. <laughs> well, here we go with that. So that, those are some news and notes of things that are coming around. But uh, the main thing we're here to talk about is, of course, G1 Climax. You heard our talk with Dave about it in kind of general terms. Now we're going to break down some of the uh, best and worst of the first four days. The tournament began July 15, 2023, there at the Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. Attendance on the first night, 3,145, which is not bad. That's, you know, kind of in line with what, some of the past G1 events have done in that building at the, the you know, with the pand after the pandemic and things like that. Uh, crowds had been bigger before, but that's uh, pretty much across the board for New Japan. Uh, that pandemic really interrupted a really hot period for the company, uh, attendance wise, and still working our way back. Uh, but tournament began with uh, A and B block wrestle uh, matches going on, and they alternate. And that's it looks like that's going to be the pattern throughout the tournament. Is you're going to get. A and B on one night, C and D, and then uh, within that, uh, an A match, a B match, an A match, a B match, that type of thing. So uh, with that in mind, Yoshihashi scored the first points of the tournament with a crucifix bomb victory over El Fantasmo. That was the tournament opener there in Hokkaido. Uh, Not a bad match. Uh, Nothing wrong with it. After that, we saw uh, Chase Owens and Gabriel Kidd. And Jeremy, if you have anything to add in, by all means, uh, jump on in. Uh, But uh, Chase Owens and Gabriel Kidd, now this was a Bullet Club yeah, inter-faction fight here. Uh, Bullet Club is fine. Bullet Club is fine, Stephen. 
according to Chase, it is. Uh, Kid attacked before the match, uh, which uh, pissed Chase off, but he understood. He understood. Well, we're heels after all, aren't we? Uh, we're a bullet club. That's what we do. They fought all through the crowd, and it was a lot of selling by Chase Owens, who did a good job with this. Owens ended up rallying, and he hit the uh, Marvel special, the half and half, and a package pile driver, sort of against the run of play, as they say in soccer. It was a pretty much to get kid over as being a ruthless bastard. Uh, the time of the fall was two minutes and 55 seconds, but that does not include about five minutes of fighting around ringside, maybe longer than that, uh, before they ever got in the ring. So uh, just showing the J- that gave kids a, a crazy son of a gun uh, in that one. So uh, the only thing I have to add to this is that this is going to be the first of many, many matchups we have between the new iteration of the War Dogs Bullet Club with Gabe Kibb, Alex Coughlin, and David Finley versus other previous iterations. And this is not going to be smooth sailing. Uh, Gabe Kidd made it clear that they're out for blood and they don't care. So what happens with Chase Owens? What happens with Kenta? What happens with Evil? This is all going to unravel and we'll be talking about it and picking up threads throughout the next couple of weeks so just kind of keep that in mind after that we had tongaloa and his comeback match been over a year i i knew it had been a long time but yeah well over a year for tongaloa so glad to have him back of course uh he went and had his knee looked at which is the kiss of death for any pro wrestler because of course there's a ton of damage in the knee and uh it ended up being a lot longer uh recovery than he was hoping for but he's back and he wrestled kenta it was uh, a lot of ref bump shenanigans you know kenta stuff uh, but Tangaloa ended up overcoming the low blow spot. He hit uh, his big apeshit finisher, uh, which uh, Kevin Kelly always enjoys uh, <laughs> calling, and uh, won his comeback match over Kenta. Uh, so Tangaloa getting the win over Kenta in uh, the third match there. Do you think that the advertised Tangaloa Mineas at 75%, it will be worse or better by the end of the tournament? Well, it's clearly going to be the story throughout the tournament. That That's going to be the thing that beats him when he loses. Uh, it's going to be the, the obstacle he overcomes when he wins. It's the story of the tournament for Tongaloa is that he's not 100% and people are going to be working that knee. Hopefully, in real life, he's fine. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling that knee is going to be taking a pounding throughout this one. So all these matches were fine. But to me, the g one started with this next match you're about to talk about. Perfectly said. This was the first great match of the tournament. And it's it's not the only one. There's going to be more later but uh, that we're going to discuss. But Ren Narita and Shota Umino had a 20-minute time limit draw that was fantastic. This was a brawl. Uh, it was the first match to get a strong crowd response when the match graphic came up on the screen. So like we mentioned with Dave, the, the people are into these the Reiwa three musketeers and fighting each other. They're anxious to see these guys go out there, which is a good sign for the company. It shows that their trust in these guys isn't misplaced. I think Uh, the fans don't feel like they're being shoved down their throat, I guess is what I'm saying. They're into this. It was a very even brawl for the first 10 minutes. Uh, Then Ren used his leg lace Boston crab, which was neat. That was his young lion finisher. He went back to it. Uh, Shota got the ropes after 15 minutes. They traded a lot of big moves late. Uh, their timing was good. The The intensity was good. They were crisp. Uh, Narita even hit his uh, German suplex with the bridge for a really good two count. To me, of course, time ran out. We have the 20-minute time limits instead of the 30 just to facilitate things like this and to keep 
eight match shows moving. But this to me, Jeremy was the appetizer for a great rivalry. And it may well be the answer to a trivia question, which was what was Shota Umino and Ren Narita's first singles meeting after excursion? Because I have a feeling that these guys are going to be headlining some very important shows down the road with against each other in some form. This could be the answer to the trivia question. What was the first time these two tangled after coming back from excursion? It was right here in the G1. It was a beautiful 20 minutes to watch. With the last hook bunk, we've seen Shota kind of rise, kind of seen Ren kind of rise up the ranks, kind of raising their, raising their credibility a little bit. And then, you know, they just kind of unleashed on each other from going to the young boy, 10-minute match, 5-minute, 10-minute matches. Now we're at the 20-minute, and – they couldn't put each other away and they're going hard. And this is, this is what we want to see about the next generation of quote unquote, the Rewa Musketeers. This is, this is what you go to the G1 to watch. Maybe a bit of a theme for the tournament too. And uh, we get into the next one, which was Kazuchi Okada opening his tournament with a victory over great Okan. Uh, nothing wrong with this match. Perfectly good. Uh, not the classic that we had in the draw the match before, but uh, Okada got the rainmaker after they, uh, countered each other's finishers, 15 minutes, 23 seconds there. And after that, Kato Kiyomiya uh, had his first match of the tournament against another G1 debuting uh, wrestler, Yoda Suji. And uh, Suji hit a top rope suicida just as uh, Kiyomiya got to the ring. So that was pretty impressive. He, the man flies very effectively. Kiyomiya worked Suji's legs a lot. Uh, Suji flipped out of a tiger suplex. That's not easy to do, uh, folks. He managed to flip out of it. Uh, but Kiyomiya ended up getting a high knee, a superplex for a two count. Uh, then he hit the inside out and a shining wizard to pin Yoda Suji. 14 minutes, 48 seconds. Very good match. But uh, Kato Kiyomiya uh, opens with a victory. And, of course, you know, you want to treat your visitors with uh, respect. And uh, that'll show up uh, on day two as well, uh, that uh, format. So uh, Kiyomiya getting a victory, but a terrific match with Yoda. I, uh, I thought this was a great debut match for Kiyomiya. It made sense to me that he would uh, stand out over the three Musketeers because he's been at the top of Noah for, for so long, and he's coming here. So they're inclined to make him look really good. And uh, I kind of think that they did. He's won their version of the G1, which is called the N1 tournament. Uh, he's won that. He's was the GHC champion uh, as early as this year when he wrestled Okada. So, uh, yeah, he, this is somebody they're going to want to take care of and, and things. So uh, next up was Taichi and Will Ospreay. Terrific match. I picked this one as my upset special, and I was much relieved to see that I was correct. <laughs> uh, Taichi's the hometown guy. You know, he's from that area of, the, of uh, Japan. Will played heel for him. And uh, interesting story to this match. Will took a sidekick to the side of the head, and he kind of blocked it, but then he sold it like he had lost his equilibrium for the rest of the match. His, his equilibrium was off and was shot. He still managed to hit a Chelsea grin and an ass cutter around the 15-minute mark, but Taichi got to the ropes. Uh, Taichi hit a back suplex, uh, kicked Will coming in on a hidden blade charge. He was trying to get the hidden blade, and, and he countered it with a kick. Then he hit black. Mephisto for the victory. So 17 minutes, 43 seconds. Interesting story to tell, Will, of just getting his his eardrum busted up a little bit. And uh, he, he managed to uh, make that pretty interesting and build some drama where he would try to climb the ropes and get dizzy and things. So it was just something different. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It was a real good match. Uh, those are two terrific workers. Taichi gets the hometown victory. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like this one. It's another one you should go out of your way to see, I think. 
Very interesting that we got a free show out of this match and that they were subjected to a Will Ospreay loss. Yeah, go yeah. figure. But again, part of the trope of uh, New Japan's uh, tournament booking is to take a top contender and put him behind the eight ball early with a loss. And now Taichi has what could end up being a rather scary uh, tiebreaker. I mean, like I said, we were talking to Dave about You're threatening. This. You're threatening. threatening. So before we get to oh, the no. next the next free night of well we have one more match we have one more match very quickly and we don't have to spend much time on it Uh, sonata Sonata defeated hikaleo hikaleo did a good job in this match but the outcome was never in doubt uh hikaleo hit a gorgeous last ride power bomb on on sonata it was really the highlight of the match but in the end he ended up uh, getting into the deadfall and sonata ended up winning of course the iwgp champion we expect score a lot of points in this tournament sonata over hikaleo sorry jeremy go right ahead no no i i completely forgot that this match happened and that was on me so uh i predicted going into it sonata is going to have probably the best record of anyone in all 32 uh entrants of the g1 i think that's right uh hikaleo along with uh, his brothers, as we will get to throughout this show, doesn't look like it's going to be a great tournament for those three, but we will see what is going forward with them. And so before we get to the free night two that was on New Japan World, I mm-hmm. want to talk to you about some free stuff that's on the Fight Game Media Patreon, Stephen. Okay. This week on the Fight Game Media Patreon, which is typically $5 a month, and you get the Fight Game Media Extra, you get the five-star Joshi show, and you get the Dynamite show, which is AEW, for just $5 a month. But if you subscribe to the Patreon, in the Patreon for free will be the Mike and JD show talking about the WCW invasion in WWE back in the early 2000s, as well as Mm. Robert Silva's Life and Times of Muhammad Ali, and the topic will be the first Frazier fight. So those are the three items that you can get. And other shows on this network that you can listen to is The Wrap, which is a weekly wrap-up of WWE on Mondays. The Boom, which is a weekly wrap-up of AEW on Tuesdays. We have In the Clinch, which is an MMA podcast on Wednesdays. Speaking of Strong Style, which is our show, will air on Thursdays. And The Mike and JD Show airs on Fridays. And finally, you can check out the Powerbomb Show YouTube channel which airs every sunday on our fight game media network on youtube and that is the powerbomb shows with sam and mel all right ooh, i got that out there let's go back to night two Stephen Conway. night two began with david finlay and tomohiro ishii uh and again we're into the bruisers bracket now so we're c and d uh c being the bruisers bracket uh, d being the uh, older gentleman's uh bracket but uh has has turned out to be pretty good Finlay beat Ishii in 1555. Again, we expect David Finlay to get a pretty big shove here in the G1. This was a good version of an Ishii match. Hard-hitting, stiff, a lot of exchanges, uh, forearms, uh, shoulder blocks, clotheslines, that type of thing. But eventually, David Finlay hit the oblivion during a big move exchange. But uh, this was a good example of this match. Finlay was good here and uh, went toe-to-toe with Ishii. Ishii is great at making guys look as tough as him he just sells so well uh he he builds the drama well of these exchanges and he knows how to put guys over in them and i think he did a favor uh, did a nice favor for finlay here tomohiro ishii you could take him in this moment of time and put him at any point in wrestling anywhere and he could hang and honestly david finley is going to prove 
a lot of people wrong. I think he's going to have an excellent campaign, and uh, he's going to have a lot of people talking about him by the end of the summer. Up next was Hiroki Goto against Toru Yano. This is an inter-chaos match here. And uh, chaos was the order of the day. Yano came out with a mascot, Tomokun, Tomokun, uh, a mascot for the Hokkaido region. Uh, and uh, both the mascot and Goto eventually ended up under the ring. Goto ended up with the mascot head on. I mean, it's a Yano match. Uh, but he came back and uh, they teased the count out off of uh, him being stuck under the ring with the mascot and all that stuff. But uh, Goto came back, got the GTR and pinned uh, Yano. Night off uh, for Goto. Uh, night off. He's the opening match of his tournament right there. But he, he had an easy entry there with a, a match against Yano that was very safe. I will call this a polite palate cleanser before the next match, which was something. And I'm going to let you get to it. I mentioned a scary moment earlier on. This was one of them. Uh, Mikey Nichols and Aaron Hanari. Let's talk about Aaron Hanari briefly here. Uh, part of the Maori tribe, which is an indigenous tribe uh, in, uh, in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came out with the facial tattoos that are uh, indicative of, uh, of his tribe right there, which we hadn't seen. Apparently, he showed them off at a New Zealand show before the G1, but we hadn't seen them yet. And even at the press conference, he had his face covered. So there were a few things about this here. Uh, he has put on a little bit of weight and lost a little bit of definition. He seems to be going for the, the bigger, stronger, thicker look rather than cut. Uh, he's also, uh, for one match, uh, grunting and snarling a lot, almost you know, like going back to like the Wild Samoans thing, even though he's not uh, part of that family. But there was just kind of a more... I don't know, I was going for something more tribal, animalistic and things. So, yeah, and uh, so they have this match. They're doing the hard-hitting thing. We know Hanari can do it because, of course, his match is with Shingo Takagi. But there was a headbutt exchange between these two that busted Nichols wide open. They were actually headbutting each other like knuckleheads. Uh, busted Nichols' head open. Uh, I guess, like, you mentioned that they were trying to prove something. Could you talk a little bit about that real quick before we get to how this ended? Real quick. Okay. These are two guys that are lower on the card in the G1. And when I watched this match, I got the distinct impression that these were two guys that wanted to show out when they had an opportunity to do so and go hard and just be a little bit reckless. I, in my opinion, those headbucks were excessive. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes I can look past a few headbucks, but they intentionally tried to bust each other open. And mm -hmm. then there came a point where it's hard. It, you can make a compelling argument that those headbutts led to, you know, a sloppy rest of the match and potentially a sloppy and dangerous finish. And I'm going to let you get to it, but all I'm going to say is I'm just glad so far everybody's okay. Yeah, we, we really don't need this, the really hard headbutts to each other. I think we need to be smarter about this now. But uh, they continued on, and the master blaster is a move Mikey Nichols does, and he does it really well. Mikey's a good wrestler, but in this one, perhaps, like you said, because the headbutts, perhaps it's just because it's hot and humid in Japan and they're sweaty. But uh, as he gave the Master Blaster, Hanari slipped from his hands and he came down right on the top of his head. Very scary moment. And you see the reaction of everyone, including the announcers, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. You see the announcers, of the, or the reactions of the young lions outside, uh, Loy Bay and Nakashima, who both were worried they just witnessed something horrendous. Mikey pinned Hanare right afterwards. I would be very curious to hear if that was actually supposed to be the finish, if he was supposed to win this match. I, I would be curious to hear that. But 
not taking any chances. He landed right on his head and immediately was attended to by the young lions. But uh, he ended up wrestling a few days later. He seemed to be relatively okay, but uh, this was, was a scary, scary making, bump. He was up and for the backstage comments, making comments immediately after the show. He looked like his bell was rung, and I was yeah. surprised that you know he passed a concussion test. But you know he came out a couple nights later, and honestly, looked pretty good. So oh, yeah. honestly, yeah. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just really thankful. I don't need to see people take an unnecessary risk in the G1 just to prove that they're there. Bro, you're already at the dance. But, like, and that's a fair it. point. This is a thing where these guys are in the bruisers bracket. And like we mentioned before, like they're in there, they're going to be wrestling on nights with guys like Ishii, Shingo, Eddie Kingston and all that. And I think they overcompensated a little bit, went a little yeah. buck wild there. Yeah. Don't need to do it. So next up was Shane Haste and Alex Coughlin. So we had TMDK versus the war dogs here, uh, but good stuff. I mean, mostly showcasing Coughlin's strength, a uh, long beat down of Haste. Uh, but uh, they had the thing where Coughlin is not always in his right mind. Uh, he had a haste beat, started throwing chairs in the ring, threw his title belt in the ring. The referee was trying to take it away. He shoves the referee down and then runs into Shane Hayes' Saito suplex on the chairs that he himself had put in the ring. The poetic justice of pro wrestling. He, he who builds it takes it, and uh, he ends up getting uh, pinned there off of that. Uh, just a... Story being, Coglin was running him over, and then his own lack of uh, lack of his humility, lack of control. Him his own match. Yeah, and so Haste ends up with the win there. Uh, up next, terrific match. I will here. say Eddie, this: I want oh, I want to throw ahead. one thing yes, in please. on this match. Yes. So I got nothing against Shane Haste. I think he's a great wrestler. I've been following him since he was in NXT WWE, and he left, and he's like, "This isn't for me." And then he made his own way, and he made it ended up all the way here. And he's in the G1 this year. All well and good. I'm happy that he's here. However, I have a legitimate gripe that if you're going to act like Tom Lawler, just fucking bring Tom Lawler in instead. <laughs> Honestly, awesome. like, give me something other than, like, a cheap imitation of, of him because Tom Lawler did this better. Yeah. And he had every, like, there's every reason to bring him in. So if you're going to do your thing, find something else to do. Because the dumb and dumber, aping, Tom Lawler kind of thing just isn't it doing it for me. All right. Eddie Kingston faced Shingo Takagi in the next match. This was another terrific one. Eddie's intensity is great, and therefore <laughs> Shingo is a great opponent for him. Uh, this was very good stuff. Again, stiff clotheslines, back suplexes. Shingo hit a Northern Lights bomb for a one count. Eddie kicked out. He also kicked out of a pumping bomber. He had a couple of spinning back fists and ended up beating Shingo Takagi. Crowd was into it. It was really good stuff. This was one that is uh, worth going out of your way to see again. Might have been the best match of this uh, show. Uh, I thought it was. Um, just for anticipation of what we had going into and just knowing, oh, my gosh, we're getting Shingo Takagi and Eddie Kingston. There <laughs> is an argument to be made that the anticipation might have doled, like, the the reception of it because – for some people, it just might not. There's no way it could have exceeded like the expectations that they might have of it. But man, it was a great showing by Shingo. Great showing by Eddie. I think getting Eddie early wins and putting Shingo behind the eight ball is exactly what needs to be happening. And uh, I was I was very happy with this match. 
Backstage comments were really cool on this one as well. You can see what this means to Eddie. It, it, you're just happy for the guy that he's living all these dreams that uh, going into the pandemic, the man honestly believed he would never get to do this. He wasn't sure he was going to be able to afford to stay in the wrestling business. Now the guy is a, one of the big stars in Ring of Honor, AEW, and he's in the G1 tournament. It's it's it, it's a cliche to say, stick with the kids, dreams come true, but uh, Eddie's actually living that. It's very cool to see, and I'm happy for him. So in the press conference for the Blood and Guts they did yesterday, Tony Khan was on record saying there was an attempt by him to get Eddie to fly back for the Blood and Guts show in Boston in between his dates. Uh, Tony, for, Tony, Tony. Uh, he just didn't realize how feasible or unfeasible that would be, but uh, I am just thankful that he was able to let Eddie go. Uh, I think this, rather than Blood and Guts, is where he should be. Hey, man. Uh, let's see. We also had uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, here's what I would say about this one. <laughs> Brilliant way to open the tournament for Tanahashi against a guy that's not going to make him run and jump too much. This was really good mat wrestling, had terrific psychology. Uh, Tanahashi's new outfit makes him look like the third member of Pretty Deadly. Uh, so, uh, but the, and, uh, you know, it looks good. The, the, the sleeves without a shirt. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm I, well, you know, hey, uh, to each their own. But uh, the design's cool. He worked an arm bar on Zack Sabre Jr., but was rolled up for the three in a mat wrestling sequence. We don't have a ton of time to talk about the rest of the matches on this show. But uh, considering Hiroshi, this was a very safe match for him. And uh, it was it was really good because Zack's brilliant at this. And Tanahashi's still really smart. So good match. Here's my analysis on Hiroshi Tanahashi in the G1 this year. The last couple times we saw him, he was going up against AEW and Impact Talent for some aspect on these singles matches. People wholly unfamiliar with Hiroshi Tanahashi, not wanting to upset him, wanting to defer to him, respect the whole deal. Those matches were not the best that they could be because of the unfamiliarity factor. Now that you have Hiroshi Tanahashi in the G1, He's literally pulling up a beach chair and doing everything that he needs to do to look good. But uh, he's not putting himself out there in the difficulty that he needs to, but he's still putting on these great matches. This is the Hiroshi Tanahashi that I thought we'd see, a smart psychological Tanahashi that is going to navigate these matches. Opponents like Zack Saber Jr. and Naito are the perfect guys to have matches with. Up next, Evil defeated Tamatanga via the usual cheating right there, ref bumps and uh, House of Torture shenanigans. Good so, talk. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, we're also we need to get we have a lot to cover. But the main event was a really good match, and we're going to short shrift it here because we don't have a lot of time to talk about it. But Jeff Cobb, Tetsuya Naito, uh, this was a lot of fun. Terrific match between two uh, professionals. Cobb won the big move battle, so to speak, as they tried to hit each other with the big stuff. He got the tour of the islands before Naito could get the destino, and therefore it was Jeff Cobb upsetting. Tetsuya Naito in the main event. I didn't think they would send the crowd home with a Jeff Cobb speech, but they did. And uh, Jeff probably showed why uh, he doesn't get the microphone all that often <laughs> in front of an arena. But uh, no, Jeff, yeah, Jeff's terrific I love wrestler. Jeff. I've never yeah, met him, but uh, he, I, I have a personal he, connection str- to him. He, he struggled to name the United Empire members all the way because he was making fun of the way Naito lists off the LIJ members. And uh, then he kind of he kind of got stuck for a while there, poor Jeff. Wasn't quite the, the sick there. burn that together. we were hoping for. Not quite the sick he, burn that we were hoping for. Terrific wrestler, though, and, uh, and, and a pretty good match. And that ended day two in front of 2,888. So down a little bit on the Sunday from the Saturday. So I have to tell uh, you a funny story about this real quick. I apologize. Yeah, well, uh, Jeff Cobb and my wife have the same hairstylist. 
<laughs> and she has a fight game media connection too, doesn't she? She does. Hair by Katrina is Katrina LaRocca, who is hmm. the lovely spouse of John LaRocca, who hosts <laughs> the fight game podcast with Garrett Gonzalez. And when I moved to San Jose, I reached out to John LaRocca and said, hey, I, uh, my wife looking for somebody to cut the hair. And he referred her to her. And my wife's hair looks amazing all the time. So does Jeff's. She looks great. She looks so great. Does so there you have it. I just have to throw that out there. Uh, hair by Katrina, Katrina LaRocca. Check her out at Instagram. <laughs> Day three was in Yamagata on July 18th. Uh, this was uh, 1,239. It's a better crowd than during the pandemic time, but again, down a little bit from before uh, there at the General Sports Center in Yamagata, Japan. This one opened with Kato Kiyomiya defeating Chase Owens. Uh, again, another one of those matches where the outcome's not really in doubt. High knee, inside out, shining wizard, clean win for Kato Kiyomiya. Gets him four points. Uh, and up next... Kenta defeated the great Okan. Uh, Kenta, you know, I was thinking about this during this match because they had a little close-up on him, and you could see that big scar on his left shoulder. We give Kenta a lot of grief sometimes for his matches with the referee interference and maybe... You give not... Kenta. I love Kenta matches. <laughs> well, okay. I should think about Kenta more as when we're talking about guys whose bodies are heavily damaged from all the years of bumps yeah. and wrestling right there. Uh, I should give him more of a break. This guy is, his body has actually been through quite a bit and he still is entertaining. Absolutely is. And maybe I'm a little too rough on him because I remember all those matches from early in his career, but how fair is that? Uh, I need to do a better job when evaluating Kenna matches is what I'm saying. So he's this one had fun. a lot of, like he, he's a grizzled veteran professional wrestler. He knows yeah. all the tricks and he knows how to do matches and he knows what to do in the G1. Like fucking old Kenta is in the G1 and he's able to, he's able to get a match out of great Ocon. We love great Ocon, but still like Kenta, Kenta can deliver. He uh, ended up getting a roll up off of a choke slam attempt. He had a, had a clever way of uh, jumping up and head scissoring uh, great Ocon as he attempted the choke slam and uh, he grabbed the ropes being the heel that he is to get the pinfall up next was Gabe kid. He defeated Hikaleo. Uh, again, the t match time on this, 3 minutes, 29 seconds, but it doesn't include the pre-match attack and beating around ringside, which I guess is going to be the method of uh, ta uh, the tactics of Gabe Kidd, the, the method of uh, approaching his matches going forward. And, uh, yeah, this is the basic thing also where Kidd shoved the referee, he punched Porgiato, gave him a low, gave Hikaleo a low blow, and then a pile driver for the three count gave Kid the win where he uh, got caught by Chase Owens in the first one, so he's one and one in this. Yeah, uh, it was good. It just, uh, the War Dogs make the arena their whole yard, apparently. We're going to get into that. I think they're, they're, I think they're overdoing the fighting in the crowd thing a little bit here. But uh, Taichi and Tangaloa was up next. Uh, again, we mentioned that Tangaloa's knee is going to be the story throughout. Taichi managed to counter the ape shit this time, whereas Kenta fell victim to it. He won with a ghetto clutch. And Taichi, 2-0, uh, going uh, through on the first two nights of the tournament. And then after that one, we had the next Reiwa... Yeah. Three Musketeers match, which was Narita facing Yota Suji. And what might be a trend here with when it comes to these guys, Narita and Suji went to a time limit draw again. So Ren Narita has had two matches, two time limit draws, Suji with a loss and a draw. 
but this was another very good match. The crowd was alive for it. Uh, Suji, by the way, now 0-5-1 against Narita. Never beaten him in a singles match, even when they were young Lions. Uh, Narita was a little bit older and more experienced, so Suji ended up doing the job in those uh, early young Lions singles matches. But Suji, another top rope suicida. That one almost took him clear over the doggone rail right there. Uh, he has so much momentum. Very good exchanges as they came down the pike toward this 20-minute match. A terrific match between these two. But again, time limit draw. And uh, you start to wonder if we're going to get a round robin of draws with Rayiwa. The company saying there's no way to separate these three. They are so evenly matched, Jeremy. The desperation after the overconfidence of Yoda Suji going from the 15-minute mark where he thought he had it in the bag and he couldn't put Ren away. And then we got to the end. And Ren just wanted to keep fighting him. He didn't care. He just wanted to keep beating his ass because he had Yoda on the ropes at the very end. Uh, just a fantastic representation. It's really interesting. I don't think Yoda Suji has a singles win in New Japan yet. No, I guess he probably doesn't, does he? No. Probably doesn't. Tag match wins. He's gone all him. this time. And they were talking about belt this dude. Like, take him to the moon. The dude hasn't won a singles match yet. And it's not looking great for him in the next one either. We're going to talk about the lineups coming up. Yeah. Uh, Will Ospreay and Yoshihashi was up next. Will gave Yoshihashi a lot in this one. Uh, mm -hmm. Yoshihashi hit a Kumagoroshi and a really good-looking destroyer for two. Once again, Yoshihashi is having one of those tournaments where he has really good matches, but he's, I don't think he's going to score a ton of points. Uh, he did win his first match, though. And uh, anyway, the battle became uh, it became a battle to hit Karma, for Yoshihashi and Will had a ways to counter out of it. And uh, Will hit the old school cheeky Nando's kick there. That's the, the one where he kind of tucks the guy's head into the turnbuckle pad and kicks him in the face and then hit his new finisher. Apparently a corkscrew senton off the ropes for the win. Uh, once again, a little more aerial assassin than we've been used to before. Uh, Will Ospreay off the schneid, so to speak, uh, avenges that loss and opening night with a win here. I mentioned it in the uh, interview with Dave, but I wanted uh, to kind of be a little more eloquent with it. He has the hidden blade, and he's basically torquing his entire arm from his shoulder to whack a guy from the back of the head. And given that he's got some shoulder issues, it feels like a, uh, while a corkscrew senton may not seem like a safer, it, it may end up being a much safer finisher for, for Osprey. Now, only Will could make a corkscrew sent on something that would be safer for him than something else. That uh, tells you a lot about his work style. <laughs> but uh, I have a feeling the Stormbreaker will come back out for big batches and against Absolutely. big opponents and big moments. And then after that was Sonata and Shota Umino. Terrific match went 1848. So kind of teased the time limit draw. It was uh, very good. Uh, Umino got a really good near fall on a package DDT at about the 18-minute mark. A really good O'Connor roll sequence with Shota for a near fall. And then uh, they got the dead fall with less than two minutes to go. So with, with uh, a minute 12 left on the clock, Sonata managed to get the win over Shota Umino. And, uh, yeah, a good match. And, and, again, I think we're going to be seeing that one more down the road. Uh, and I enjoyed it. Shota threatening to draw, but not quite, is uh, is an interesting plot point. Kazuchika Okada defeated El Fantasma in the main event, 16 minutes, 21 seconds. ELP did a lot of crowd work in this one and got the people into it a little bit. The crowd enjoy likes ELP, I think. and uh, But it was uh, a sequence of, again, a uh, classic New Japan style of countering each other's big moves. Led to an ELP tombstone. But Okada managed to reverse that into a landslide, hit the Rainmaker, 
Uh, not much doubt about this one. Okada, I know Fantasmo Okada takes the two points. So what do you think about this vibe that Okada is giving off, that he's just better than everyone, that he's beneath, like, this tournament? Do you do you see it? Do you? Not as much here, because in the post-match comments, he praised El Fantasmo a lot, said he's a wonderful wrestler. Uh, so he was a little more gracious than usual, but certainly focused on winning the tournament, uh, according to him. He's, he's, he's pretty sure he's going to roll through this thing. Just an overconfident SOB, but I, I guess know. if the I, only person that beat you recently was uh, lit. yeah, the little... GP champion and the other guy broke his arm, I guess you are overconfident. <laughs> he is less heelish now than he has been, but that doesn't mean he won't go the other way. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. On uh, day four, the 1900 in uh, Sendai, uh, well, no, excuse me, 1,657 was the attendance this year. Last year for the for their night of the G1, they drew 1,919. So attendance down from last year a little bit. That's kind of rare. Um, for the most part, things have been trending upwards. Uh, again, not to pre-pandemic levels, but uh, yeah. So that had to be a little bit disappointing there at the Sabo Arena in Sendai on uh, Wednesday the 19th. But uh, they saw some good wrestling. This was a good show here on uh, night four. And uh, it opened with Zack Sabre beating Toru Yanu. Yanu, uh, they uh, had a thing where... Fujita came out with the TV title, not Zach. Uh, Yano, in retaliation, just stuffed his jacket on Yugo Nakashima and threw him in the ring. He's like, here, you wrestle for me, and he'll wrestle for Zach. But uh, Zach snuck up behind Yano, put on the sleeper. Then, in a what I think was a moment of genius, he had Fujita uh, tighten the knots on the turnbuckle pads that Yano always removes. So he went around all four, but that allowed Yano to recover. He got Zach down on the ground and taped his feet together. This is where it fell apart. (laughs) Zach manages to hop all the way back to the ring. He gets the tape off, but he fakes that he didn't. And the reason Yano doesn't realize that is because he's trying in vain to get the turnbuckle pads off. Uh, Anyway, as he moves in on Zach, Zach rolled him up, got the pinfall, and a night off. Uh, So... That okay, was it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the amazing thing about this, and we have we have to explain this. Zach's legs are taped up by Yano, and it's an obscene amount of tape. So he's Fujita comes out to rescue him and help him up and get him to the ring. He's like, no, 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 I got this. And the referee is counting one. And he gets up on his feet and he's planning to do this spot where he's gonna hop spot by spot and make it to the ring by jumping. He can't make a single jump, and he's falling over every time. And so the count slows down to an absolute crawl. It was a 20 count that took two minutes <laughs> as you're watching it, and they are just trying to like trying to stretch this thing out. And you can just hear Kevin Kelly's like, wow, they really didn't want to let Zach Sabre Jr. lose that one. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, you know, uh, try explaining that one to Ghetto. It's like, <laughs> like, well, I have to rebook Ridiculous. this entire block. Ridiculous. For a Toro Yano match, it was fine. It was whatever. <laughs> it's a, a night off for Zach, most importantly. So Finlay defeated Mikey Nichols in the next one. Basic stuff here. Nothing wrong with it, but there wasn't much drama in this one. Uh, Finlay won with Oblivion. His next match is going to have some drama in it, though. Mm. And uh, next couple, actually. Uh, after that, Jeff Cobb defeated Alex Coughlin. Uh, Coughlin, this was a show of Coughlin's power. Holy and he has a lot i'm, I'm going to describe this a couple of spots to you guys there is a deadlift gut wrench on jeff cobb by alice Coughlin. he even pressed cobb over his head and just kind of dropped him on his on his front he didn't try to do a press slam thank goodness because i don't know 
get him all the way over before he lands on his head, but instead just got to drop. But he did press Jeff Cobb over his head. Uh, an overhead belly to belly by Coglin to Jeff Cobb. Cobb was really working hard to put over Coglin's strength uh, as well. And uh, in the end, it was a very sudden German suplex and tour of the islands for Cobb. The story of this one a little bit, Jeremy, was he was actually overpowered by Coglin and he got the win and got the hell out of the ring. <laughs> yeah, real <laughs> lucky. Coughlin was ragdolling Jeff Cobb. Like Jeff Cobb was the baby face in peril from the strong guy (laughs) that the roles were reversed, essentially. And you've seen this before with Coughlin and Jared Kratos, where they like give Jared Coughlin the one big spot. They didn't bother with the one big spot. They just let him go wild. And uh, it was pretty impressive to see. Coughlin's been really entertained to watch in this tournament so far. Just two matches in, but I, I like what I've seen out of Coggle, and this is a talented guy. Uh, up next, we had Evil and Eddie Kingston. Now, this was, I again... I ha- about this when you're done. <laughs> House of Torture shenanigans. They beat Eddie up on the outside quite a bit uh, with, you know, chairs and around ringside. Eddie sold the match like his back was spasming and seizing up on him, which was pretty smart for the way they had to do the finish. Uh, it had to look like Eddie was pretty well weakened. Uh, so, uh, again, the ref bump. Uh, Dick Togo was in with the Garrett. Uh, they went to hit Eddie with a cane. Eddie actually brought a cane to the ring, knowing that there were going to be shenanigans. Eddie ducks the cane shot. Evil hits Dick Togo. Eddie then wears both of them out with that cane to the point that Togo got the hell out of the ring. Here, hit Evil for a while. Uh, and then uh, Evil used the ref for the magic killer, which is a silly spot, but the timing of this it actually worked better than it usually does. Uh, Togo came in for a low blow as Eddie goes after him, and then it's everything is evil for the victory. Uh, just, again, two-on-one, referee's kind of shaken up. So there it is. It's uh, Evil gets the win over Eddie Kingston 15-15, your thoughts, Jeremy? Glass half full. Glass half okay. full. This was, the best way I could put it, an AEW Rampage main event with all the bells and whistles <laughs> of, like, the interference and everything like that. Fair play to Eddie Kingston. He knew what happens in an evil match, and he was all for it. He went all in on every single one of the evil shenanigans. The timing was right. He was able to participate well. He knew all the spots. The man committed to the evil match, and I tip my cap to the commitment that he had to making this match work. It was a better evil match than he usually get. This was a good evil match, you know, just yeah. for that whole thing. And I think Eddie uh, Kingston was all for having the match with him, and I think that's the, the primary reason. He was just like, look, do it. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Shane Haste up next. This was a good match, and Tanahashi's moving better than he has in the past, certainly better than he did against MJF. Kind of wonder if he got a cortisone shot in that knee or something. Uh, he, but but he was moving a little bit. Uh, he's The sling blade still can't quite get a sling blade on, but he, he does it. Uh, he did end up getting aces high in the high fly flow, and both look good. So a uh, better version of Tanahashi. It was nice to see him like this. 12 minutes and four seconds, nothing crazy, but a good wrestling match. Yeah, I figure we'll see the high fly flow just a few times through this, and it'll be a delight. Uh, again, this is exactly the right bracket with the, the right kind of wrestlers and the right ground game uh, for a Hiroshi Tanahashi match. He is going to be uh, so far so good in this tournament. We were happy to see Hanare come out for the next one. By the way, about Hanare, no longer Aaron Hanare, just Hanare, and it's mm-hmm. his name is now stylized in all caps in English and no longer in katakana. So they dropped the Aaron Henare. He is now just Henare in all caps 
in not even Roman, Toa Hanare just in, in the Ro- yeah in the uh, Roman alphabet there. Uh, his name's Aaron Henry, by the way. I thought that was interesting. No, it's his real name. But uh, yeah, Hanare. And uh, yeah, he defeated Shingo Takagi in a hell of a match, 19 minutes, 38 seconds. So once again, uh, teasing the ceiling of that uh, time limit. Uh, he toned down the uh, the mannerisms. There was less snarling and grunting, uh, more like Hanare, uh, really. And uh, he was selling the neck realistically, possibly because it hurt like hell and he wasn't selling. <laughs> but uh, he also acted like he was kind of stiff, might not have been acting, had the kinesio <laughs> tape on it. Uh, he hit a rampage, got a full Nelson. Nelson uh, again, just we don't have time to go into all of this, but go out of your way to see this match. We already know what these two can do with each other with the king of the pro re- king of pro wrestling matches they had. This was a tremendous battle, and uh, he ended up getting a Streets of Rage early in this one, and Shingo got out of it, but he hit it for a second time in the match with just under 30 seconds left in the time limit and beat Shingo Takagi. Shingo, 0-2. Uh, and Henare uh, getting the victory here. Uh, just a tremendous wrestling match between two guys that really work well together. I don't know what it is about these two, but they have fantastic chemistry with each other, and I'll just leave it at that. Tetsuya Naito had another good match with Hiroki Goto. I mean, what do you expect? These guys know what they're doing, don't they? I mean, both of them have won this tournament before. They're excellent workers. It's just a classic version of a really good New Japan pro wrestling match. Uh, Destino finish, but it uses the usual Not the greatest Destino finish, I will say that. Yeah, he he barely made it over there, but he got it, but he got it, and he got the win. Uh, But a really good match between two guys that really know how to do a match like this. Naito is a guy to keep your eye on for for going to the the end of the tournament. So, you know, he's a guy that if you're uh, circling around, he's one of the finals, potentially. Tama Tonga and Tomohiro Ishii were the last match of the night. Uh, And as you would expect, this was a stiff, hard-hitting match. Ishii actually hit a stun gun, on uh, a gun stun. Mm-hmm. I always say that backwards, a gun stun, and that got a nice pop. Tamatanga countered the vertical brain buster, however, with uh, a gun stun of his own in a, a move that looked really good. Uh, Tamatanga, very underrated, very clever in ways to get into the gun stun. He, he, he finds ways to hit that out of nowhere, as we say in Orton land. Uh, but uh, then he hit a J driller, of course, uh, with respect to his uh, fallen friend there. Um, Jay Briscoe got the victory and Tomatonga defeated Tomohiro Ishii in the main event. I do appreciate that. There was some logic that like, you think Tomohiro Ishii is going to get a, get a three count off of the gun stud. Now you're going to have to do something a little bit more to put him away. <laughs> So let's take a look at the blocks here, Jeremy. Uh, We're going to say this after four nights of action, we have uh, each block has two wrestlers in it with four points. And those are the leaders in the clubhouse, so to speak. So right now, well, not in the clubhouse, they're still wrestling. Block A, Sonata and Kato Kiyomiya have four. Block B, it's Okada and Taichi. Block C, Finlay and Evil. Block D, Zack Sabre Jr. and Jeff Cobb. And, of course, we know there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. Those are the early leaders in the tournament. I think the only name here that really surprises me of being close to the top is Evil, but it makes a little more sense when you look at the upcoming matches for the week. Yeah, I think uh, I think that match with Finlay and Evil is going to be one that we're going to be talking about for some time and we have a little bit more time to go deep on it next week. That's, that's one of the matches I got circled that I'm pretty interested in. 
Let's take a look at the upcoming schedule for this week. On Friday, July 21st in Niigata, the main matches, I'm not going to read the whole card, but the key matches here are Shota Umino against Kato Kiyomiya. Kiyomiya. Uh, that'll be good, Umino and Kiyomiya. Uh, I'm not used to saying his name. I'm going to have to practice it there. Uh, terrific wrestler, though. I'm enjoying Kaido Kiyomiya. Okada against Taichi. Both of those guys are 2-0. and in their uh, bracket right there. So that's a, that's a big one. And uh, then Sonata against Suji. Sonata and Suji. If, Su- if Suji loses this one, he is facing down having one point in his first three matches. I think the Musketeers are going to bottleneck each other, man. I really think they do. On Sunday, July 23rd. So off Saturday. We have a Friday show off Saturday and then back on Sunday in Nagano. This one has some really good matches on paper. We got Tomohiro Ishii against Shingo Takagi. Yes, all day, anytime. Uh, Tanahashi against Jeff Cobb. These two have had some really good encounters before. David Finlay against Evil. There's the Bullet Club drama. House of Torture, Bullet Club. That's the main event. That's the main event. And at the press conference, they mentioned that Evil might not be on board. Maybe not. Left it ambivalent as to whether or not he's on board with the David Finlay era. Certainly is not backing down from him or kowtowing to him. So it should be an interesting little uh, bit of drama there. If you had to guess who wins that match. Evil. I think so, too. We'll see. We'll see if I'm right. Uh, Could be Finlay just to put the stamp on it, though. Could go either way. But if gun to my head, I'm saying uh, evil right there. Uh, Tuesday, July 25th, Corican Hall. We have two days at Corican Hall, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. So those will be the matches that are the most recent when we come back here on this show. Okada against Yoshihashi in a chaos battle there on Tuesday, the 25th. Sonata against Kiyomiya. And then uh, Osprey against the Great Okan in a United Empire uh, match. And that then Wednesday, gonna, that, that one's going to be a good one, I think. Wednesday, the 26th in Corican Hall, Ishii versus Eddie Kingston. Tama Tonga against David Finlay. That's a big rematch from their match at Dominion where Tama Tonga was stretchered out. So Tama Tonga will certainly have something to prove there storyline wise. And Zack Sabre Jr. against Jeff Cobb. We've seen it a couple of times in TV title matches. Now we get it in the G1. This could be great. This is going to be a good week. Uh, yeah. Zack Sabre Jr., Jeff Cobb. That was one that they had at Dominion, and they had the uh, the strong. And first was a draw. Then Zach Sabre Jr. won the 15-minute. Now that we go to 20, should be interesting to see who gets the win on that one. It could very well be Cobb. And they might just have Cobb coming out of the gate hard and then, you know, uh, yeah. I think uh, I think that later. might wrap a bow for their, uh, their rivalry this year. Could be. And uh, yeah, so I mean, do we have a little bit of time, Jeremy, to go into history, or should we hit that next week? What do you think? I think I think we should keep it at ninety and and uh, just keep it keep it crisp. We got a few more minutes. We can just wrap up. But if we do the history, we'd have to rush, and we'd probably go over. Uh, yeah, okay. If you're okay, we'll week. probably well we'll talk more about it next week. There, we'll no. do that next week then. But why don't you bit... tell people about what the history lesson will be next week? That's what I was just saying there. Now, we mentioned that the tournament history of New Japan began with the World League in 1974, very early days of uh, the company. And then as the 70s progressed, it started to gain a little bit more traction. And what we're going to be seeing next week is how the World League tournament transitioned into the MSG League. MSG standing for Madison Square Garden, just like you might think. And that was when... A couple of important things happened. One, New Japan just simply started getting more of a foothold. It was a little more challenging for New Japan in a way than for All Japan. All Japan had the NWA backing. That's a big deal. Uh, Giant Baba was in with the National Wrestling Alliance, so they got talent from all over the world. 
there was another company called the IWE, International Wrestling Enterprise. They were working with the AWA, which is another established company. So they were bringing in guys like Bachwinkle and, you know, Brunzel and Greg Gagne and sometimes uh, others there from the a- Moose Cholak and things like that. We're talking the 70s here. New Japan needed something else. They worked with the WWWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and they really leaned in hard to the idea of Madison Square Garden being this mythical place. So when Tatsumi Fujinami and Antonio Inoki went over to MSG and wrestled on some of those Madison Square Garden cards, they made it into a big deal, which it was. So when they came back, they just said, these are our stars are on the biggest stage of them all, the world's most famous arena. And they actually changed the name of their tournament to the Madison Square Garden League Tournament. And you're going to see some bigger foreign names in the tournament to go with the new Japan stars, which helped the rub. Right. So whereas before it was uh, perfectly good, like killer Carl Krupp was a good heel, uh, not a great wrestler, but he was a good heel. Uh, you had uh, some of the other guys like Bill Eady in his earlier days. You had uh, some, uh, some others uh, names guys, but now we're going to start seeing bigger names coming in uh, as part of that WWWF Alliance. And it's going to help, the profile of the tournament and the profile of new Japan as a whole. We're going to talk about that next week. And if you want to learn more about the previous segment about the G1 in the seventies, you can go to YouTube where we have cut and edited that clip on the YouTube page where Steven goes into detail about the history of the G1 as it dated back to Antonio Inoki and the origin back in the 1970s. So Steven, anything else to add? Well, it's just interesting to think about how New Japan at one point was the plucky underdog in this whole thing. Uh, you know, right now they're the dominant company, but it wasn't true back then at all. You know, the, the, when Baba and Inoki left the JWA, that was the big promotion, Ricky Dozon's promotion. Mm-hmm. And after Dozon was murdered, they went with uh, Baba and Inoki as the two biggest stars. Then Baba and Inoki split off into their own uh, companies after some drama with the front office there. But Man, Baba was the one that got the NWA on board. And it's it's difficult to explain how important that was in the early 1970s and just what kind of talent he was bringing into yeah, all Japan. Yeah. And so for IWE to already have that association with the AWA, it, it was a real challenge for New Japan to show up. And they were trying to do a lot of different things. That This WWF thing was a very big deal for them, just having names like Andre the Giant uh, and then later on Hulk Hogan. Uh, and you know Hogan, uh, his first uh, trips to Japan weren't were were very big deals uh, for for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he would go on to become one of their all time biggest uh, biggest foreign stars. But uh, it was an uphill climb for them, and uh, it, we're, it, it's funny to think of them as the the plucky underdogs now that they're so dominant, but not always the case. So that'll be something that we look forward to next week. And um, if you have been one of these individuals that has made it through this entire episode, and this is one of your first times listening, or this is a repeat uh, visit for our show, I just want to say thank you for listening. And uh, this is what we hope to do for you every week. And uh, hope you enjoy what we do. It's been a very busy time. It's going to continue to be as we get through G1, but so exciting. A lot of good wrestling, a lot of good stories to be told, and we're going to be right here going over it with you week by week. So we'll have four shows again to review next week. We'll be looking forward to uh, the week after that, some big events there. And, of course, we're going to be keeping an eye on things like the uh, upcoming 
uh, shows in Philadelphia, the All-Star Junior Festival, the uh, Multiverse, Multiverse United, United number two. So uh, we cover all that stuff. New Japan Strong shows as they pop up. Of course, uh, again, tickets on sale for the one in Las Vegas on October 28th. That's uh, going to be Fighting Spirit Unleashed again. That's the, the label of that one. That's going to be at Samstown Live. If you watch Impact, you're familiar with that building. That's coming up. And uh, we also know what uh, what Destruction of Kobe you said, right, Jeremy? Right, right. Uh, end of September, and they're advertising that early, so, you know. Last year, it was Royal Quest around this time where a lot of big money matches happened uh, post-G1. That could be what we're looking forward to. So, yeah, a lot of stuff coming up, and we'll cover all of it. Anything New Japan, we got it. All right. And with that, I think we're coming close to wrapping this one up for speaking of strong style. So, uh, of course, I am uh, at Stephen Conway 88 on Twitter. You can find Jeremy on Twitter as well. Where? Jer Fivestone. All right. Awesome. And with that... Thank you very much once again for listening to Speaking of Strong Style. We'll be back next week. We'll talk to you again real soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.